0: Hello everyone, I'm Paul Menzel and I'm Jim Conlan, and this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing
1: bolder not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about
0: the current habit of doom-scrolling. We demand that we be given the right to repair. We catch up on some fan mail, issue a report on the doom-scrolling phenomenon, and reveal a study that shows monkeys actually enjoy traffic noise. We conclude with a look back at another big pandemic, the Black Death. The Old Dog's conversation is with Shelley Akins, a vivacious lady who wowed big crowds with her retro band, her Tina Turner performances, and her vivacious personality. Stay with us.
1: Paul, anything on your mind today? Oh, there sure is. Okay. We, we have a pod nugget in this episode about doom scrolling. Yes. And we probably need to explain that a little bit. Now, that's people that are kind of obsessed with bad news, and they on their phones, they just keep scrolling from one disgusting item to another. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to confess?
0: <laughs> All right. I'll come clean. I don't actually scroll for news items, but I do a lot of scrolling on Facebook, and I certainly come across a lot of news items that way. Uh, And it's interesting that depending on the personal perspective of the individual posting, I get either this side of the news or that side of the news.
1: But either way, it's slanted. Well,
0: it's slanted, and it's mostly... Pretty gloomy. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> so, like, do you wake up an hour later and go, oh, my gosh, I've been doing this for an hour.
0: Really? Really? It's just amazing how much time can pass, how yeah. many meals I have missed.
1: No, I, I don't do that. Uh, mm. But I will watch news for longer than I should. Really? But I'll sit there with my mouth open, saliva dripping down on the coffee table. Yeah. And, you know, well, what I, do you
0: call that? Is that, like, view scrolling? Doom viewing. Doom viewing? <laughs> yeah. Or maybe dumb viewing would be a better <laughs> description. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm surprised by what our pod nugget reveals that there was a Russian study of all people who uh, determined that more than a half hour of doom scrolling is bad for your mental well being.
1: I guess. Who but, you knew? know, the, the Russians are dour people. I mean, maybe it doesn't take much. To give them a bad outlook.
0: Well, on the world. when you think of it, a half hour of bad news is a lot of <laughs> that's, bad news. That's
1: true. It might be torture in some cultures. Huh? Yeah. No.
0: Well, what do you where do you recommend, Paul? I mean, how do you do you have any kind of fail safe mechanism for getting out of your spiral? No. no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you? <laughs> Et tu brute?
0: Yeah. Usually, when my, my wife says, hey, You know, this dinner isn't going to cook itself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So do you find yourself doing it less, or is it just something that's part of your life? You just take it in. That's the way you're living your pathetic life. (laughs) Um, I I don't know. I like to stay informed. Uh, But you know what I will do sometimes for relief is I will turn to a news channel with the opposite political view. Just to kind of balance off what I'm seeing, uh, you ever do that? No, I don't. wa No, I don't <laughs> oh. watch
0: TV. See, so I, I would not be exposed. to Well, that. where do you get your news? From the newspaper, you know, newspaper.
1: You you actually news. subscribe to a newspaper?
0: I, I subscribe to a newspaper and I read it through entirely every day.
1: Yeah. Same here. I I subscribe to a couple of newspapers. But breaking news, the world has ended today. You know, that stuff you got to get from a TV set. I
0: think I can live with the world has ended today. Oh, yeah? Oh, no, wait. No, I can't, can I?
1: That's the way. You you won't know anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why is it so doggone difficult to repair broken appliances and electronics, Paul? Well, I don't know. Could it be that manufacturers want us to buy new rather than repair? This item is from the New York Times for October 23, 2020.
1: Manufacturers of many products have made it difficult over the years to repair what they sell. They might limit the availability of parts or manuals, or they might restrict who gets to repair their products.
0: It affects game consoles, cell phones, appliances, cars, and even hospital ventilators. A movement known as Right to Repair is gaining popularity. They want laws that prohibit the planned obsolescence that sends products to the landfill
1: when they can still be repaired. In more than 20 state houses nationwide, Right to Repair legislation has been introduced by both Republicans and Democrats. The goal is to require companies to make their parts, tools, and information available to consumers and repair shops. A repairable device that is
0: thrown away is a waste of resources and a source of pollution. I can remember in the 50s, the first option was to repair rather than replace. Even small
1: communities had at least one repair shop. Yeah, it was Wally's. (laughs) The right to. (laughs) I enjoyed myself so much there. The right-to-repair movement is not going away. It's also not going to make me smart enough to fix my own phone, but it will give me options for having it repaired. This is another installment of fan email from our listeners. If you have a rant or a rave and you would like to share it with us, go to our website, olddogspodcast.com. Just scroll down on the homepage for how to contact us.
0: This rave is from Larry T. Just wanted to let you know how much I enjoy the podcast. The subject matter and diversity of topics is first rate. Your interviews with active boomers are very uplifting and gives this fellow boomer the impetus to keep on howling.
1: Well, thanks, Larry. Kind words for us two old dogs. However, I do suggest that you don't howl at the moon out loud. I tried that last year and ended up under observation for a couple of weeks at a hospital.
0: Yeah, right. Howling at the moon is a metaphor for not acting your age. You could have told me that. Well, I didn't think you needed telling. We're encouraging people to keep defying society's expectations for us seniors. Keep living, learning, and die with your boots on. But I wear sneakers. Well, then don't die. Oh. Do you find yourself endlessly scrolling through the bad news on your phone or computer? Well, there's a name for it. Doom Scrolling. This pod nugget is from episode number 308 at the Savvy
1: Psychologist website. An interesting side effect of the pandemic is our fascination with bad news. We read depressing headline after headline, angry tweet after angry tweet, and sad comment after sad comment on social media. It's roughly the equivalent of people slowing down as they pass a car crash. <laughs> and unfortunately, there are plenty of social and political car crashes in the news lately.
0: scrolling is similar to worrying. We do it compulsively because it can give us a false sense of control during a time of uncertainty. We continue the practice because every once in a while, something rewarding will turn up, like a motivational story or a funny meme or just a positive headline.
1: If this is an issue for you, there are ways to control the scroll. First of all, go to news feeds or social media with a specific purpose. You will end up being engaged with something you care about rather than being sucked into the doom and gloom rabbit hole. Next, set a time limit and time of day for
0: dealing with the news. A large-scale study in Russia found that more than 30 minutes of pandemic-specific news consumption led to significant increases in anxiety. This could be a guide for setting limits.
1: In part, we doom-scroll because we need social connection. A better way to connect is a one-on-one conversation, or to hang out in a small group. We should all be pretty adept at video conferencing at this point. Tracking down a long-lost friend for a virtual coffee date can be satisfying on several levels.
0: Monkeys in a zoo in Finland preferred traffic sounds to nature sounds as a background even for falling asleep. This pod nugget is from Sky News for November seventh, 2020.
1: We guess there was some point to the research conducted with monkeys at a zoo in Helsinki. (laughs) They were given a choice of traffic sounds, nature sounds, meditation music, or dance music in their enclosure.
0: The traffic sounds were clearly the most popular choice. They groomed themselves and even slept when the traffic sounds played. This didn't happen with any of the other choices— so, the researchers had to draw some conclusions to justify their research grants.
1: They suggested that the traffic sounds mimic some of the ways in which the animals naturally communicated. Hmm. We suggest that the monkeys were actually performing an experiment on the researchers. <laughs> the monkeys liked to see the researchers get excited when they made unpredictable choices. We'll know for sure if the monkeys present a paper at some later date. <laughs> In the 16th century, there was a recurring deadly pandemic in Europe called the Bubonic Plague, more commonly known as Black Death. Mm. One doctor came up with some surprisingly modern ways to contain the disease. This item is from the BBC.com website for January 7th, 2021. This was a time when diseases were thought
0: to be caused by bad air, and vinegar was a cutting-edge antiseptic. Treatments for the plague ranged from bathing in your own urine to rubbing plague sores with the butt of a live chicken.
1: Mm. (laughs) As
0: you can imagine, the death rate in some cities reached 60%.
1: However, there was one doctor named Quinto Tiberio Angelario who offered some unconventional ways to contain the disease. He lived in Sardinia but had trained abroad, so he had knowledge of how the plague had progressed in other cities. When his home city of El Guerro had an outbreak of the plague, he was put in charge of containment."
0: He advised citizens to not leave their houses. Only one person from each house could leave to do the shopping. He prohibited public gatherings. He discouraged travel from other cities unless the travelers could prove they were in good health. He realized that people who recovered had immunity and were good candidates for potentially contagious jobs like grave digging.
1: He also recommended that people stay six feet away from each other, which was measured by carrying a six-foot cane. Uh. He specified adding a large rail to the counters in food shops to help people keep their distance. And he warned that people should be careful shaking hands during Mass.
0: For all these similarities, there were some crucial differences. Anglerio told the public that the plague was divine punishment, and they should be on their best moral behavior. Other instructions were a little bizarre. For example, he recommended that turkeys and cats should be killed and thrown into the sea.
1: But for the most part, his recommendations were sound and reduced the severity of the pandemic, much to the relief of the people in his hometown. And, of
0: course, much to the relief of the live chickens, who were frontline medical workers at the time. Oh, yeah, they were. <laughs> and the butt of a lot of jokes.
1: I, I, huh?
0: Shelley Brant-Aikens, known to many fans as Sheila Tequila, has seen enough of the road to last a lifetime. As a member of two popular touring bands, she brought audiences to their feet. Eventually, time and motherhood took her off the proverbial bus, but she continued to pursue her entertainment career, first in the movies and lately doing voiceovers. But whatever Shelly decides to do, she's still knocking it out of the stadium.
1: I'll start this out with a serious question. It looked like you were heading for a career in musical theater and then something happened what was that turn in direction
2: uh the turn in the direction was when i was performing at a dinner theater and dash riprock um alias mark stewart came and saw me there and he's the one who pulled me out of the theater circuit and said hey we're putting together this 50s kind of show group here in dallas and we would love for you to come along because they've had a lot of singers, but they didn't have any of the comedy and, and the show part of it. I did a lot of comedy at that time.
1: And so that was a departure for you because yes. you were aiming for probably New York, maybe?
2: Yeah, well, yes, I did. I did apply to Juilliard and I didn't get in. So that was a huge disappointment. But uh, yeah, I was thinking of New York. You know, I would have been in New York had my mother, who took me at eight years old to audition for Helen Keller and uh Dallas I end up getting the part and they wanted to take it to New York and mom turned it down and I'm like mom why did you take me to get the part of Helen Keller and you turned it down she goes well I didn't think you were going to get it.
1: <laughs>
2: that was her response. It's, it's okay. True. Well,
1: it, it wasn't a speaking part anyway, <laughs> right? <laughs> but boy,
2: my life would have changed. had that have happened, you know, then I would have been in New York and, and you know, the journey would have been totally different, but yeah. So I, I had dash Riprock pick me up at that time. And that's how my stage name was created, which pretty much everybody knows me in Dallas is Sheila tequila. <laughs> and uh, that was that was my name for many years. Well,
1: tell me about that, though, because you did a lot of traveling with Dash Riprock. I Rip Rock. sure did.
2: When I joined Dash Rip Rock, uh, it was funny because I had no idea about 50s music. I was so much into musical theater that he literally handed me a cassette tape and said, here is all these 50s songs that we do. We're going to be in Little Rock, Arkansas, in this club on this date. And so we'll see you there. And I left Dallas listening to that all the way to the club and got up on stage that night. That was my whole introduction. And I just had to wing it until I learned it. And now I know every 50s Motown song there is. Oh, uh, we're going to have to challenge <laughs> so,
1: you on that. Yeah, really?
2: Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> so I did a lot, of, a lot of different clubs with Dash Rip Rock, and then it extended quite a bit more with Custom Made.
1: Uh, well, tell me a little bit more about custom made. Uh, w- was this a cover band or or what was the idea well, and, and the name?
2: Yes, it was. It, um, I decided to create it with my manager and we put three girls up front and four guys behind us. We did a 50s show and then after that we did a Motown show and we did complete costume changes. In the 50s show, we our characters were Sheila Tequila, Patty Perfection, And Trixie Delight. And Trixie, instead of a poodle, had a a attack dog on her, a Doberman attack dog on
0: her her skirt.
2: And uh, we had a lot of fun, the three of us. We had amazing harmonies. The whole group sang. Everybody was a lead singer. So we had quite a bit of great harmonies going on. And then when we went in the Motown, uh, I was the Tina Turner. Then Tricia was Aretha Franklin. And Paula was Gladys Knight.
1: Hmm.
2: so we so, each kind of had a character
1: right it was as much a show as, as it, it was, was a band yeah
2: it was it really was and we did costume changes costume and, changes yeah mm-hmm. so i never knew i'd have such a history with tina I, I was telling jim how tina got started and that was just a joke with dash riprock i just was having fun with the way tina talked and it just ended up getting developed and developed and developed. To where we ended up growing it, to where we added uh, ICATs and a lot of choreography. And so it really developed much further than I thought it would.
1: So you were really living out of the suitcase for a long time, right?
2: Yes, I was. Yes, I was. We toured quite a bit.
1: Well, Shelley, I've heard cuts of your performance
0: on stage. And I got to say, you're a fantastic performer. Uh, no more so than Thank the you. clips that I have seen of your Tina Turner act, you would not expect a white girl from Dallas to be that good, but you nailed the look, nailed the singing, nailed the energy. So now I'm wondering, you were so wrapped up in it, but eventually you moved on. What was the next step for you?
2: Well, I actually left it to to do film, television. It was something I always wanted to pursue, and and I, you know, I was getting in my early 30s, so I pretty much decided to drive out to Los Angeles after the Northridge earthquake. The worst time you could possibly go.
1: So you finally got tired of the instability of being a singer and you decided to become an actor in California. A nice stable job. (laughs) Uh, uh, How did all that work out for you?
2: Oh, that was a struggle because, well, first of all, it was the earthquake. And so finding a place to live was a challenge. And I decided to bring a hundred pound German shepherd with me. So that even made it more of a challenge. And getting an agent, you know, was just not so easy because it's uh, so oversaturated in Los Angeles. So I did get on some some movies and some background work and was able to get my SAG card. And it was it was great. It was uh, you have to it's a struggle. And then I met my husband out there that he was in a band. Um, then we got transferred back to Houston.
0: He wasn't a drummer, was he?
2: No, he's a lead singer.
0: See, that's why he's your a... marriage has lasted. <laughs> so you didn't miss the being on stage? and
2: No, I really didn't. You know, as you get older, it's a it's a lifestyle. I mean, mm. I, I would start my job at 9 o'clock at night and get off at 2, 2.30 or 3.00 wind down get to bed at four so it was it's a it's a lifestyle that's completely different Mm
0: -hmm. well let's bring you up to date Uh, we're talking about you now living in houston uh, which is where of course i met you uh, originally Uh, what has been the arc of your talent here in houston
2: well when i first got here actually i was still doing tina my husband started a band and i ended up singing with them for a short while until we had kids and we realized who's going to take the babysitter home when we're tearing the set down. So that didn't work out. So I decided to stop that. And that's when I hooked up with Pastorini Bosby. which is my talent Uh agency. Okay. Wonderful talent agency. And they actually hired me to do the Tina Turner for a fundraiser for TXMA. And so uh, Tina has not died. So I'm still, (laughs) I still get asked to do her now and it's getting more difficult in the in the age. Has it's, Tina
0: ever seen your show?
2: Yeah, I know, and that makes me sad because uh, she would have gotten such a kick out of oh, it yeah. uh, as, as a white girl in the way I did it.
1: As we are talking to you now, you are in a very professional-looking sound booth. Tell us about the voiceover work you're doing.
2: Oh, I'm loving it. I got together with Jim to do a current demo. And it's already on the Pastorini Bosby Talent Agency site, and I love it. I love doing voiceover work. I did a little, quite a bit in the past, and so it's really fun.
1: Well, you know, I would describe you as a working performer. You know, you are not a household name. Nobody's going to recognize you in a restaurant. But you have made a living as an entertainer for, we won't say how many years. That's remarkable,
2: yeah, I feel very, very blessed about that. Yes, I did, because I have a, a lot of fun stories um, with my career of things that have happened, too, and wonderful celebrities I worked with. Actually, here in Houston, played a club with, uh, let's see, was it Dash Rip Rock? It was, it was Dash Riprock, Rock, and uh, can't remember the club, small club here, and uh, Hank Williams Jr. showed up. And he really enjoyed the show. So he said, can I come back tomorrow night and uh, visit you again and bring my band in? And we said, "Of, of course. And he says, do you mind if I invite the Oilers, the Houston Oilers? And we're all like, well, sure. Well, they all show up the next night. I'm only 20 years old. I don't know anything. I'm still in the musical theater zone. So... I go up to the bar to get a drink on break and this gentleman offers to buy me a drink. And I'm like, Oh no, thank you. I'm, I'm really not interested in you. And I went back on stage. and the guys go, Shelly, do you know who you just turned down? And I'm like, no. And they said, that's Kenny Stabler. He's the, he's a quarterback at the Houston Oilers. I was like, I didn't know. And I ran back and apologized and, and he said, you know, I've never had that happen before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> look, let's take a look uh, at the future, Shelley, for you. What's next?
2: Oh, I would love to just book um, any film, commercial work, any voiceover work, any of that. Would just that is, my, that is my goal, my dream, and I will go forward completely. How do
0: your kids feel about where you are right now and where you might be going?
2: They're very supportive. They are very, very supportive. They're both in college. Uh, Neither one of them have, well, they're both singers, but neither one of them are trying to pursue any of it. Mm -hmm. So, which is fine, because I want them to have health insurance and a paycheck. So (laughs) I'm very good about that. (laughs) Tell me (laughs) something.
0: If you had advice to give to people and I'm not just talking about people who aspire to have careers in entertainment or in the theater or in film, but just in general. What would you tell people that you've learned that has helped you?
2: Well, certainly never give up. Try to have grace on yourself and, and try to be positive. I think just being upbeat and having keeping your sparkle in your life...
0: the incredible Shelly Akins ladies and gentlemen like what you've been hearing how about sharing the joy with your friends we can always use more listeners there are more episodes on the way so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon